Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Shamelessly Unapologetic with me, your host, Alana Pinsky. You're in for a really great episode this week. So on the podcast, we have Cassandra Gordon, who has her own jewelry business, and we had a really awesome conversation. And I feel like you're going to learn a lot about her story and how creating jewelry and running her own business is what really shaped for her to become more unapologetically herself. Cassandra had a really great story that really inspired me and I loved how she was able to navigate a lot about how she was able to come out of her comfort zone and learn to become more of an unapologetic person and to start not caring what other people thought about her in her business and I thought her message was just very important for many people to hear especially if you are a business owner and maybe you have dealt with a lot of unsupportive people in your life or you've always found some sort of challenge especially if you are a person of color We dived into a lot of that in this episode. So it was a really great conversation. She's such a hoot too. Plus, she is British, so you're going to enjoy listening to her beautiful accent. (laughs) I know I'm a sucker for accents, and I even said that in the beginning of the episode. Other than that, I really hope you enjoy this episode and learning more about Cassandra's experience. I really hope everyone's been having a good week so far. I know I have been trying to survive Passover. It's around day four. So by the time this is up, it will be day five. So I'm just counting down the days until I can go to restaurants and eat normal food again. So for anyone who's Jewish and doing Passover, I hope y'all are hanging out in there. Other than that, I think it's time that we just jump into the episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Cassandra. Welcome to Shamelessly Unapologetic. How are you doing today? I am doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I got to say, you are the first Brit that I have on my podcast. So this is super exciting to be talking to my first international guest on the show. I absolutely love it. I'm a huge sucker for British accents. <laughs> Which one? We have so many. Which one? Which one is your favorite? Oh gosh. I don't, you know, I don't even know. What are the different kinds of accents? Like I think so Cockney is one. Ac- yeah, Cockney. That's kind of a London, East London accent. And um, there's like the proper British tea, like the Hugh Grants, which you might know, or Mary Mary Poppins. There's Northern accent. So I'm a bit of a weird one. I have a a weird Midlands accent. So I'm in like in the middle. So people can really hear the vowels and know that I'm from the Midlands. Nice. So where is the Midlands um, in the UK? So roughly 100 miles north of London. Gotcha. And you grew up there or did you move there? Yeah, yeah, I grew up um, in Birmingham, which is the second city, which is the second city of England. And I moved in different places. So I lived in Liverpool, where you hear about the Beatles. I lived in Coventry. Have you heard of Lady um, Godiva? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I've lived in London most of my adult life. So here I am. I love it. I love it. So 
Cassandra, what I wanted to ask you first is I know you sort of just told me about like where you grew up, but I'd love for you to tell the guests just like a little bit more about you. Wow, gosh, that's a great thing. Okay, so <laughs> it's not like I wasn't expecting it, but when I hear it, I just had a little brain freeze, but it's, it's okay. I can I can get through this. So about me, it's so it's so loaded. So I'm going to give you the standard answer. And then if you want to go dig, dig deeper, you can you can do that. So absolutely. Me. I'm Cassandra Lauren Gordon. I'm going to use all my government name because my mom pushed me out and she put it on, on, on my birth certificate, Cassandra Lauren Gordon. I am a multidisciplinary artist, meaning I like to create things and I don't want to be put into a box. And I know it sounds like a millennial type of thing, but my main medium, what people know me for is being a jeweler. Jeweler, I actually make jewelry. So not just someone like, say, yeah, I have jewelry stuff and I, hmm, I actually learned how to make it. I have learned how to be a goldsmith um learning with making precious metals in the jewelry quarter in the UK which is Hatton Garden one of the jewelry quarters I also am a filmmaker I also have a podcast I do digital content and yeah I just see myself as an artist so that's me in a way I love that and I definitely have quite a bit of questions regarding what you just said but the first question that I ask every single guest just to kind of open up the conversation as a whole, and then I'll get into the questions based off your intro is, what are you most unapologetic about? Wow. So 2020 was a big year for me, where this is why I've connected with you, listened to your podcast. I think I'm low-key jealous that you, the title of your podcast and what you do in your content is what I would love to do. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm sure you trademarked it because that is what I'm going to live my life since 2020. But answering back to your question, what am I most unapologetically about? It's about taking space and calling things out if I think it's wrong. And then that goes to like racism. And I know you might think, oh, in the UK, is there racism? Mm, okay, not everyone's getting shot. <laughs> um, as a black person um but there's subtle racism and i mean subtle it's, of course it's not has overt and um, british people don't always say what they actually mean and it comes out in different ways and even this this week there's a story about about a black girl in east london who was strip searched at school because allegedly they thought she had weed on her and she was on her period she has to take her um, um her pad off and expose her part no parent was present just oh the gosh police. so these things happen and i don't think it always come across into the american or north american um spheres of life I'm not trying to compare oranges apples but a lot of things happen in the uk so i feel more comfortable just to call it out even if i get backlash if i see something i'm going to call it out because back in the day growing up here in britain as a black person or Afro being my parents are jamaican there's always this kind of things like working twice as hard you always have to overcompensate at work, at school. You have to blend in as well because you don't want to be, obviously I'm physically brown, but you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You just have to learn these survival kind of things. So my parents and my grandparents sacrificed just to survive when they were asked to come to Britain to build up the um, the English, the British economy. I'm sorry, I'm giving you a lesson because I have to give the whole reason why I'm Oh no, I love it. Please, and why I'm please. in the UK because sometimes I realize talking to our, our American cousins, they don't always get taught about the British Empire and how black people end up in the UK or in, in Europe. So in Jamaica, it was a British colony, part of the Commonwealth. The British Empire, all the colonies were called the Commonwealth. 
And after the Second World War, Great Britain was, you know, that's what they call themselves, asked their Commonwealth people, their colonies, ex-colonies, to come to Britain to build it up and take all the jobs and build up the economy. So they were asked to come to the motherland, but not mm-hmm. be not really treated greatly. So that's how I end up here. So um, my grandparents came first in the Windrush gener- um, generation. And that's big in Britain in, in race politics or just in cultural politics because um, it was one of the first boats, how they came from Jamaica to um, the UK. And then what usually happens is when my grandparents come over, they usually leave their kids behind because they have to build up themselves first. So my mum was left over here till she was at, um, till she was like 11. And, so, and also my dad, they were both Jamaican, to come over here. And then they figure out it's it's not like Jamaica <laughs> coming into yeah. England and dealing with all of the stuff what they had to deal with. So I I really commend my parents what they had to deal with to have a better life and give a better life for us for me and my siblings. So um, that's the history tour of how I am brown and why I'm in the UK. I have to do that because when I when I visited in the US before Idra Elba uh, got really successful why are you here you got a british accent and why so i had to give them the whole spiel um i can't have a very succinct answer but history did not give me a, a succinct answer to tell you why i am here and my heritage and my i'm from the african diaspora i have breathed i've talked about that we can slowly move on <laughs> i think that's absolutely beautiful and really touching i got the chills just listening to all of that and i think it's so awesome that you and your family we're so brave to take the step to find ways to build a better life for everyone, like for your family and for yourself. And that's absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing. And please don't apologize for telling me that because again, this is a safe space that I definitely tell all of my guests, be unapologetically you. Don't apologize for your background and who you are. And going back to like one of the first things you said, you said that you're very unapologetic about taking up space and calling shit out. And I love that because we as women get a lot of backlash for taking up space. And I say, keep taking up space. We are here. We are not going anywhere. We have opinions. It is not the 1950s anymore. We're not going to be pushed around by the patriarchy. We're going to stand up for ourselves. We're going to call out bullshit. And I know with you being a woman of color, there's even more bullshit that you got to call out, especially when it comes to racism. And you should never, ever, ever apologize for that. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I really enjoyed hearing your story. So you talked about how you are a jeweler and you make jewelry, which I think is really cool. And it's funny because I am not much of a jewelry person. I think the only jewelry that I typically wear are rings. So what I definitely want to hear from you is what was it about jewelry specifically that made you want to start your jewelry business? And what are the specific pieces that you usually make? And I'm curious to know what you really enjoy designing. Okay, so I do two different types of things. So I have my bespoke or bridal side. And then I have my ready to wear, which you can just buy online and it will just get posted. Um, so let's start, how do I get in a jewelry business? About 10, 12 years ago, I can't remember the exact date, but I went to a silversmithing course or um, making a silver ring course in a, in a college. I didn't go to school for this. Um, I have degrees, which I don't use. I think I'm typical Same. of the um, immigrant parents when they say you have to be a doctor, something, something, lawyer, 
basically when you know I thought I really wanted to go to university to do drama and my mom looked at me and she said no and then I just put some other course down and then I did it so it you know the, the creativity came later in my life in my 20s when I did that course and then when I did that course I just got the bug and I'm like I want to make it because I just realized jewelry means love to me and jewelry means like it's an emotional manifestation of who you are your personality and your emotions all wrapped up which you can you know everyone sees and it's on your skin it's quite personal you asked me about rings um for my bespoke side or for my bro my bridal side I definitely make engagement rings so it's such oh, a cool and privileged situation when usually men usually men sometimes I do women but usually men come to me for an engagement ring and their bride-to-be or their wife-to-be does not know. So I'm thinking I've got two customers in mind. It's like keeping the guy happy, knowing that he's making a big investment into this piece of jewellery, usually a diamond or something like that, a diamond ring. But trying to figure out at the same time with very limited information sometimes what the wife or fiancé wants. Because sometimes guys don't always know. <laughs> you live with that person, you do stuff with that person, they don't always know what is the right thing, what that woman wants. And it's such a pressurizing um, situation for them. And, 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 and I feel sorry for them because A, it's the ring, which is quite, can be quite expensive. Depends. I'm not saying you have to spend lots of money. And two, sure. it's the proposal. So I know my American cousins, I call you that, you women are very on it with your rings. Right? Oh, we are. <laughs> I have a whole Pinterest board and I'm not you, even close to getting married. On it. You're on it, okay? So imagine, you know, how much month's salary that person probably has to save. It's, def it's definitely lower compared to what people in England. So um, in England, say $2,000 is like the average. In America, because of the lovely culture, it's a bit bigger. So, and also yeah. it's not just that, it's about the proposal as well. So if he doesn't do a good proposal with the ring, the whole experience, so it's like even chatting to people like, okay, make sure... You know, when you propose, you have this ring. That's why I say to people, sorry, I have to tell you this. Sometimes no, I say to please. people, talk to, me, talk to me six to three months before you think of popping the question. Because you might think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go on holiday and I'm going to pop the question. And if you're in your 20s to 40s, that kind of age range where people get married, another friend might pop the question and ruin that moment. And it's there's not an exact science when to propose. You know, so um, it's so much things go into it than just making a piece of jewellery, something out of gold or something out of platinum. There's a whole kind of thing. So that's that. OK, so am I ready to wear? <laughs> Sorry, I do too feel, I, have, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, you're ready to wear. you got to tell so, me, tell me. I've changed up my style. So it's called This Is My Switch, where I switch in 2020. I just thought because of COVID and life, I had a lot of reflection. Like, I just want to do jewellery what I want to. I put cornrows on jewellery. I put braids on jewellery. And it's just something, it's just, it's just a different um, aesthetic. So I won an award last year um, in the Jewelry Oscars in the UK. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, if I was proper, like my American cousins, I would be self like wearing it, but I, I'm too laid back for that. So basically it's a light bulb pendant, which got cornrows on and it's just symbolizing unity and hair and, you know, just celebrating diversity and, and, and inclusion. So that's, so I'm a very conceptual jeweler when it comes to my ready-to-wear kind of thing. So that is my life. That is my spiel. And I wish I was. I wish I was like you, be very unapologetically and just like blinged out myself, especially on yeah. this on, on the podcast. But I've learned now. 
Well, what was stopping you originally? It sounds like there was a barrier for you in terms of struggling to be more open about being a jewelry wearer. Are you still trying to work through those barriers or do you feel like you've gotten more comfortable? Absolutely. So I'm going to tell you the story again. I'm trying to be succinct for you, but there's always a long story about it. Okay. So when my name is Cassandra Lauren Gordon. So if people don't see me, they automatically think I'm white because of the name, right? And sure. Get okay. In, they get stuck in, in the jewelry industry. So when I started in the jewelry industry, I couldn't get a job. They say they have a job, but when they see me, oh, the job has been filled. No one would take my CV. And that's how I got into making my own business. Because like, if no one's going to hire me, I just got to figure it out myself. Another thing in the jewelry industry, like people are telling me, don't put black models, you know, on Instagram, sell it just to white people because... Uh, if you put blackness on it or anything to say that you're black people like white people feel it's not for them so don't do anything don't men don't mention your heritage that's what i was brought up on when people when i first started the jewelry so just to be as 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 blending as possible and then after you know george Floyd's death and i'm like effort like I, I i've tried for years to blend in and, and it didn't work and i know it's going to be cliche and i know you're going to think i'm a cliche person but you know people say just be yourself and be shamelessly unapologetic what happened when I start happen? What happened? Things started just to take off. When I started, like f this, this is Cassandra. I'm gonna be myself on social media. I know sometimes it's not brandy, but this is. And when I started coming out things and just being myself and doing new designs, things just worked out even even better. So um, yeah, that's. I my love that. Story. That is amazing, and that is exactly what happens when you truly be who you are people will resonate with that. And that was one of the reasons as to why I wanted to start this whole podcast was because there are so many people out there, especially women who are just too afraid to speak their mind. I am just that kind of person who's very direct and to the point. And sometimes people will take my communication style the wrong way. They might think I'm like really brash or arrogant or rude. But they have to understand, like, what I am doing is not with any kind of malicious intent whatsoever. And I tell people, and I've mentioned this on my podcast quite a few times, to have a very bold and unapologetic personality, you need to be very mindful that this isn't an excuse for you to be just a straight up asshole. That is not what this is about. Yes, there may be times where you may have to be an asshole and selfish to stand your ground, but it's in a way where... You're sticking up for yourself and you're being an asshole with good intentions, if that makes sense. Like, I like to say mm -hmm. I'm an asshole with good intentions because everything is coming from a good place. It's never coming from a bad place. So when you have a bold and unapologetic personality, you just need to understand that there's actually a responsibility that comes with that. And you have to be aware that this is not for you to be an asshole and say whatever the fuck you want to be like, fuck everyone, I rule. It's it's not really like that. Yes, it's important to have confidence within yourself, but it's about being authentically you, not apologizing for who you are just to appease to people's comfort levels. I think you said a lot of things there. And being a black jeweler in the UK is a bit tricky. Ancient business where they don't even look at diversity or support. Being a jeweler, usually how people get into the trade, you either start as an apprentice and you work under a master for X amount of years, five, seven years when you're 16. I didn't know that. If I knew that I was 16 and people brought that to me, people were telling me I should be in a social worker. And so how stereotypical is that be a social worker as a black woman or just be a nurse like, or, or be a hairdresser? That was my three options, what people were trying to tell me sometimes that's so um, rude 
Well, yeah, that, I, that's how it, that's how they were. So being yeah. a jeweler, what I found later on in life, like, oh, you can do jewelry. Oh, black people can do, you know, I wrote an open letter to the jewelry industry because they were just going to not do any initiatives after the Black Lives Matter movement. They weren't going to do nothing. They were going to sit there and pretend. And everyone wears jewelry, black, white, Jewish, yeah. whatever, whatever, but, you know, everyone has a personal relationship with jewelry, whether they wear it or not. Yeah. Right? So I wrote an open letter and then I didn't realize, just put it out there, put it in the universe and it got viral. And, you know, even in America made some changes, even UK made a lot of changes for BIPOC or black jewelers. Um, just getting more, you know, just get more, I'm not asking, I just want to be very clear. I'm not asking for handouts. I'm just asking for just opportunities and just right. to level the playing field and open doors. Just like how someone in the injury industry will open doors for their family or a friend or someone who's similar to them. Just open a door. And that's all I was asking. And things have been changing. I raised about nearly £30,000 for jewellers to have their own grants. They can just, you know, do what they need to do, help them with press, help them get mentors. And I do it off my own back because I just really believe in it. Just try, just try to be the change what you want to be. And I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm better than everyone else. I'm just a small little YouTuber or a small little jeweler just trying to make it. And I really don't want to get into that bit of narrative of like, oh, the white man does this. I'll just wait for an institution. Institutions are just so bureaucratic. They just take forever to make changes. In 2020, we have to be, 2022, sorry, we have to be so agile. We can't just wait for someone to make decisions. We've got to influence and push people to make decisions. And I think what you said about the responsibility, it's so important because you, on your podcast, you put yourself out there and you're very strong and very bold. I put myself out there. There's risk. There's backlash. You're not going to be liked. And I think oh, yeah. I realised, you know what? If I, on my deathbed, what do I want to be? Be kind of liked and no one really cares or be respectful, polite, but stand your ground. If I died now, I know I, I, I've i stood my ground. I don't have regrets since 2020. So it took me a lot of years to find this out. This is not, I didn't come out the womb like this. This is a lot of um, personal development. So yeah, yeah, thank you for your space and thank you for your platform and, and your content for just going through this and just oh my being gosh. yourself. You're literally going to make me cry. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. And I am just like you. Like, I didn't come out of the womb with this kind of personality either. I mean, I used to be very insecure. And I definitely agree that there's a lot of personal development that comes with gaining confidence in who you are and speaking your mind. It takes a lot of guts. And I think there were some things about me that I always knew really bothered me and I always wanted to speak up. And I think in high school, or maybe not even high school, but maybe when I was in middle school, I've always been a very opinionated person. I'll say that just because like, I have seen how there are so many things that are just wrong with this world. And I can just think of ways on how certain things can be improved and how I feel like that I could probably do it maybe just a little bit better and that's not going to apply to everything, but the things that are very relevant to my life. And so when there were things that I just thought were stupid and I felt like there could have been better solutions. And I really wish I could think of like an example on the top of my head, but I just feel like everything's kind of an example for me at this point. <laughs> but I would always speak up and sometimes people would get very angry at me for speaking up. And I'm like, why are you angry? You and I both know we're thinking the same goddamn thing. You're just mad because I said it and you didn't have the guts to. Honestly, I'm willing to take the consequences and the backlash for speaking up 
just because I'm not sorry. These things need to be heard and said. And if it pisses people off, oh, well. I mean, again, I'm not doing anything with malicious intent. I think a lot of people struggle with communication in certain aspects, and people will always misinterpret tone. Just last week, I made a whole episode about tone policing. And I know I've been a huge, I don't want to say victim, but I've definitely been tone policed at my job, by my peers, by my family members, and it's fucking exhausting. Because at the same time, the sound of my voice is also very like masculine sounding. It's definitely a bit of a high pitched whiny voice, but I'm not whining. Like that's just how I talk. That's the sound of my voice. I can't change how I sound and people misinterpret the tone or the dialect of my voice and how I speak. And that's very frustrating because people may not always take me seriously for that. Right. And so that is why I made that whole episode last week to just kind of like explain myself, listen, you need to understand that this is just the sound of my voice. People need to understand, like I'm not being rude, but I can understand why people may misinterpret some of the things that I say as rude. It's just because it's solely a reflection on them. They don't get it. They probably haven't been used to speaking up on themselves. They've probably been a follower or they just kind of sit back in the corner and just listen to other people, but they don't do anything themselves. They don't always take initiative. And I think that's kind of what gets us unapologetic people in trouble. I'm saying that in air quotes is because yeah, they, don't, yeah. they don't fucking get it, you know? The reason why I connected with you, because I'm very trying to be intentional who I connect with, because looking through your content, especially your, your YouTube channel, you just do things, you just do it. You just like don't care and you just do it. And I think exactly, there's, exactly. I think there's like a synergy of like, if I can see there's a solution, I can do it, why not? Why am I waiting or giving the power to someone else to do something? So that's why I get very frustrated and I feel sometimes I have to, being very unapologetic, I've got to be vulnerable. It's like, why do I always have to do it? It's very exhausting. Because what yeah. I have to do, I've got to like, why do I have to do it? Why can't other people take initiatives? I like to like lay back some sometimes, but I'm just not always afforded that chance. And also being a woman of color, I'm not always yeah. afford that chance just to be mediocre and right. still get praised. So I have to always have to work hard. There's no default. There's no waiting for a guy to come for me and do stuff. No rich husband. I don't have generational wealth. Um, <laughs> I, I love all these kind of things. It's like, and I'm not trying to complain. I understand a mountain's a mountain and you have to get on it. So, you know, I just have to deal with it. It's just very exhausting um, sometimes. I do appreciate being un unapologetically. But I just feel like we need some training, some resilience training, because sometimes it's just annoying. Because sometimes 95% of the time, I'm like, yeah, I call it out. I'm like, yeah, it's true. I should have done it. And I say it in a very respectful way. I don't want to, I don't be horrible to anybody. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, you're not going to like me now. Oh. But then I'm like, F it. Because if you're supposed to be liked, but if they chime with me, if they're part of my tribe, they're part of my tribe. You know, you attract what you attract. So if I'm attracting this energy and I'm trying to tell you something, I'm trying to educate you or I'm trying to get you to see my side and you don't want to see it, that's your loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll just move on to the next one. Absolutely. So my, I'm, I'm getting old as well, man. I just can't. I just can't. I spent all my 20s. I wasted all my potential conventional youth of trying to get people to to, to just just to assimilate and blend and it didn't do anything yeah. it just it just caused me the same problems and not any payoff so it's just like well what's the payoff then 
try to blend in, try to be liked, nothing, and just be apologetic yourself, ruffle a few feathers, but at least you can sleep at night and you don't have to think of all these mental gym- gymnastics, you know? Let's yes. Mental gymnastics, the better for me. Because I want a stress-free life. Sometimes some belief systems believe, like when you store anger and regret, it comes out in other ways and diseases and other stuff. I, I'm, 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 I've got things to do. I don't have time to be sick. I just want to live my life and just be respectful and that's it. Hell yes, girlfriend. Hell yes. I appreciated everything that you just said and it's completely valid and I'm with you. I would rather go to sleep at night knowing that I stood my ground. I'm not going to apologize for having a different opinion. And here's the thing. People are allowed to push back and disagree with me and that's fine. But there are also people who disagree with me who don't get it. You know what they say, the girls that get it, get it. And the girls that don't, don't. (laughs) Or I should just say people. I just say girls because it's usually a lot of women or women presenting people who will come for me. Sometimes I get men that do it. Why? 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 Why do come for you? Do you say anything controversial? I haven't heard anything. Well, I don't know. I I don't live in your your, your area. Oh, Americans are just... Americans are just sensitive as shit. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like, being in, being in America. People definitely don't understand the importance of, like, truly being yourself. I think American society, there's still many things that need to be improved upon. Because most of America is still very conservative. Only a fewer parts of America are actually liberal. And so there's still a lot of like greedy, selfish mindsets out there in America. And I think some of that plays into it. They don't like change. They're afraid of change. They like tradition. And here's the thing, like there's nothing wrong with having like traditional values. But the issue that I have is people who tell others traditional is the only way to go. If you're not living traditionally, you're doing it wrong. If you don't have this mindset, you're living your life wrong, you're delusional, and that I'm not okay with. It's fine if you want to have an opinion that's saying like, oh, you're not being normal, just be like everyone else. That's not okay with me. But if you want to say like, you know, listen, I personally don't want to live my life like this, but if you do, you do you. I'm just thinking out out loud, I'm thinking in my head and out loud, it's just like, oh, I never thought that. I thought, it's interesting about these these cultural differences, because I thought, what you just said, <laughs> I thought that was for Britain or for England. But really? When you watch American TV, everyone's like, oh my God, but you know, TV and Instagram is just, you know, for show. But real life is different, isn't it? And and I, and what I'm trying to do unapologetically is really create my, create my spaces. So when I mean that, it's like, why am I voluntarily putting myself into spaces where I'm going to be get frustrated with people. Now I'm not saying to be in an echo chamber and never listen to an opposing position or never just right. insulate yourself with, diff- with, with, with the same views and the same people. But if I don't have to be in those spaces, I try not to. So for instance, right. I'll give you an example. So I don't, you have, I don't think you have it in, 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 the, in America. So there's an institution called, or an institution, there's an organization since the Second World War called WI, and that's the Women's Institute. They're long going. So what you do there, women go there, or people identify women go there, 
um, these little groups and clubs open to all, in air quotes, open to all, where you bake cakes, you just, you know, just, just friendship. There's nothing wrong. I've, and I, there's nothing wrong being, you bake cakes, you make friends, they do a bit of speeches, you do a talk. It's supposed to promote friendship and all that kind of stuff. The model yeah. is great. It's fine. It's, it's non nonprofit. I joined two WIs, um, women institutes in London and London is very multicultural, but however, it was a large white woman demographic and it's fine. I have, and I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm going to be racist. It's like, but all my friends are white. I live in Britain. I am a minority. So that's a chance it was going to happen. But back to WI, it's just like, I wanted to join again. Just do not make friends, see different people. Blah, blah. And I had to say, to Cassandra, do you want to be in the same space where they don't really want to celebrate diversity or acknowledge other people? Do you want to put myself in that space post-2020, post-2022? Inviro liked to love to connect with people. I thought, mm. so I so I, I what I did, I did some betting. I said, Hi, are you okay? To a certain um group of WI. I said, Hey, um, how diverse is your is your membership? And if not, what things have you done to encourage different That's people great. to come? And they're like, uh, not really diverse, but we but didn't give me an answer so that was a good indicator like if someone i'm happy to be in all white spaces i'm happy to be with anybody i don't care if you choose to live in a multicultural space which is london and if you're choosing not to be very cultural competent and if you're choosing not to try to engage with your local local people which are brown in that area that shows me a red a red flag so i just feel yeah. like i have to be super super careful with my mental health being in certain spaces I just can't bother to argue or I can't bother to do that mental gym gymnastics I don't know if there's a, a phrase in America do you know code switch do you know what that 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 means and have you heard that I no. think maybe African Americans use it but definitely in the UK we use it so I feel sometimes in the workplace you, you have a nine to five sometimes as a person of color or usually I talk about a black person you can't always 100% be yourself at work right Oh yeah, absolutely. So you have to switch it. You have to be, you have to dim your light and you have to present yourself, which is more appealing to sometimes your white counterparts. And that takes a lot of mental exhaustion. Like for instance, like someone might, like some when I used to go work, some of my colleagues who are black, we wouldn't sit in this on the same like lunch table or we wouldn't sit in the same table because if we, if four of us or two of us, or we've seen as a group, people say, what are you doing? What are you conspiring against? And that's like traced back to colonialism. Like we're trying to escape or something like that. Or if something happens of aggression, you don't really call it out because if you do, you'd be seen as an angry black woman. But if you're living your life shamelessly unapologetic, if something happens, you should respectfully call it out. And it grates on you. It's like little paper cuts, thousand of them just graining and then it, you bleed, right? Metaphorically. So those type of things. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to really be very intentional to who I talk to, who I connect with, where I can limit myself without restricting and be as much shamelessly unapologetic so I can just live a more stress-free life and just try to be myself because there's only one you 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 have to live with yourself man you have to yeah. deal with your mental health and you know you've got to be responsible for that I know it's your podcast but I'm really interested in looking at all of your content how do you ensure that you're around good people who accept you for who you are Oh, that's such a great question. So it's definitely about learning dynamics of others. I 
am friends with people who do have different beliefs than me. Crazy enough, I do have some friends that voted for Donald Trump, and I don't think that they're horrible people. But I will hold them accountable for certain viewpoints that they may have. And I will try and call them out on it if I can. But I don't think they're grossly disgusting people. They don't take it far like other Trump supporters would. So it it depends on like that, right? So it's about finding connection, finding people that can resonate with you or people who do value what you have to say. And that is something that I've had to learn and grow from. I mean, friends come and go. And I will say I'm very open to being friends with people as long as they're kind and respectful and they're acting like good friends, like they follow up and they, on what they say and what they're going to do. And they're consistent. And it's the same way when it comes to like finding somebody that I want to date, right? So consistency is so important for me. And nothing pisses me off more than a horrible communicator. And so what I mean by that is let's say I'm trying to make plans with you, but you're not texting me back or you can't be honest about like intentions. And I guess that will kind of be more relevant to dating. But if people aren't going to be straightforward with me or direct and be open, that is something that I'm not going to thrive well in. And it takes me a while for me to kind of recognize when someone is being completely fake with me or not. And so I've had to let people go because they're fake as shit. And I have no time or place in my life to accept fake people in my life. I have never been fake to people. I try to be cordial. But if someone is going to be fake to me right to my face, part of me now wants to start matching their energy just so they know what it's like. Because you have to understand being fake to somebody is a very hurtful thing to do. And I know I was very gaslit in middle school and high school where people would say, oh, this person doesn't actually like you. They're not your friend. And it would make me question whether or not I had friends or not. That's gaslighting. That is just straight up gaslighting. And it took me a really long time for me to figure out maybe these people actually were, right? But at the same time, there also were people who didn't know what they were talking about, and they were just trying to have power over me. So I've been very fortunate enough to have good and supportive people in my life. And for me, I have also been better at recognizing red flags as I've gotten older. I mean, I'm 30 now. I'm too old to be putting up with bullshit. Like, just be a good, honest person, and we'll probably get along, especially if we have things in common and we have connection. Yeah, and even it extends to family. Like, I, you know, over family, it's just like I had to, like, release toxic relationships. Family, because yeah. I thought, oh, I'm a really loyal person. You know, it's my family, my blood, but it, it weighs down on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, well, thank you, thank you for sharing that, because sometimes I'm like, I have to be, like, before, I'm like, oh, they're a nice person, and, and then, ah. Uh, I don't really think about it, but now I'm like, I really need to think about my my inner circle because that's going to help me to get where I need to go. Yeah, and sometimes you kind of get blinded by other people. They're very good at mm-hmm. psychologically manipulating you and making you feel like you're special. And it takes a while for you to kind of recognize that, especially if you're in a relationship. Like, love can be so blinding. 
it's like you know it's a red flag but you want to continue to see if things can become better and that is just not good and i've gotten so much better at recognizing these red flags and if something does bother me with someone that i'm dating i will casually bring it up because I want to know, like, is this something that we can work through? Or is this something that is going to be a deal breaker on both of our ends? And maybe it's just best to not move forward. So I've gotten better at trying to communicate my needs, wants and desires a lot better. And if I see someone acting weird in a friendship or a potential partner, I'm going to question them. Ooh. And I'm going to talk to them about it like an adult instead of just getting into a fight or making assumptions because I've done that before and it's bitten me in the ass and it's been a really good learning lesson for me. Okay. No, I appreciate it. Honestly, I, I'm not like I'm surprised because this is what, like, this is what you do, but I feel like content like this is just like, hopefully will inspire people to be like, it's time for change. If you want to, I'm not going to force you, but if you want to, it's time for change. Yeah, because just from, like, with this this world, this Instagram world, I think that's what I struggled with. And be honest, with um with with social media, because I knew a lot of it is fake and not genuine. I really struggled to put myself on there because I, like, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be thinking about algorithms just to get a like or, or just to sell something. If people want to buy my jewelry. People want to know what I'm doing in the art world. They do it. So I think what you said, I'm taking away is just having that consistency you know, consistent with your friends, consistent in your work. And the more you put out, hopefully you'll find your tribe and you find your people. So absolutely take, take away that today. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I mean, people don't like people that are being fake and inauthentic. People love vulnerability. People love hearing stories because they feel like they need someone to resonate with. Maybe that they have all these great people in their life, but then they find a figure, whether it's an influencer or a celebrity or maybe somebody else out in the world that they resonate with and their message and that helps them feel very seen and heard. And that's very important. It is so important to not put on an act. I mean, there are some things where I might be a little bit extra in YouTube videos because sometimes on YouTube I will put on a character, but even though it's a little bit hyped up, I'm still being myself. I'm just putting a little bit more energy into it just to be a little bit more entertaining, but I'm, I'm still myself, if that makes sense. Okay, I'm going to be a bit devil's advocate. I'm being respectful. Sure. Like, what I find with YouTube and sometimes vlogs and people, not you, but just, just in general, it's just like there's this curated authenticity, which I find oh, yeah. tricky where people, I'm authentic, or I cry, or I do this, I'm this, and know the trigger words just to get people to click. I'm just like, oh. Yeah, so what happens people when clickbait. Really yeah. People clickbait. It's definitely a way to get views for sure. So, what I kind of like do on my thumbnails is I do something called like an honest clickbait. So, I will have something that's clickbaity, but the reason I say it's an honest clickbait is because I'm still delivering what I promised in the thumbnail. So, for an example, I have made two videos on what dating in San Francisco has taught me. And not too long ago, I made one for Portland. And so on the thumbnail, I say, is it worth it? And that gets people questioning, like, I don't know, is dating in Portland or San Francisco worth it? It makes them think. So it's clickbaity, but it's an honest clickbait because I still talk about whether or not it's worth it or not. And usually I still say yes, but I talk about the challenges that I've faced 
And maybe it's just me. I'm more of an optimistic person. I don't believe in living your life cynically or pessimistically. That's just not who I am. So people can really admire that I'm a very optimistic and positive person who isn't afraid to be vulnerable, who isn't afraid to share my struggles and challenges. But I still say like, even though I've faced these hardships in dating, it's still worth it. You just got to keep going. Okay. I'm just like taking it all in. I'm just trying to find more people like um, like you because for me, this year is really trying to get my circle really, really tight and just be around people who are just, you know, similar. Want, just want to do things. Just want to make the world a better place. Just want to just be, you know, totally authentic. Whatever authentic means. I know that word has been overused. So, yeah. I agree. It definitely has lost its meaning a little bit, but I always try to live my life to the true definition of what that word is. And that's all I can kind of hope for at this point. And if people want to call me out and think I'm being fake, you know, I'm happy to rebuttal and be like, why do you think I'm fake? Or what is it about me that you think I'm being inauthentic about? But thankfully, no one's ever really questioned my authenticity, because I feel like I've been really good at showcasing that. I've always been an honest person. I don't like liars. It's just stuck with me. Just be you. Don't lie. Just don't do it. <laughs> People are going to catch on to it. I just feel that sometimes it's hard. I'm slightly more cynical <laughs> than you. I feel like I'm in small content creator purgatory where I feel I have the belief, yeah, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to my goals. But I'm just like, oh, I don't know what content, what, what people like. But I'm thinking, like, people will come to me. You know, you have to enhance. I guess, how do I explain it? So, you know, I used, I, I'm into or used to be into professional wrestling, like WWE, stuff like that. Oh, cool. So the wrestler who comes out, right? The wrestler who usually comes out, they have a character. But it's really themselves. And I think what you're trying to say is, like, with your YouTube. But they just dial it up. So I feel like I have to be myself, just what you're saying, but like a wrestler, I still have your character, but it's really them. Be like a wrestler and dial myself up a little bit and then I'll be okay. But because I just don't want to be fake. I don't know, it's just in me. I just, I just can't do it. I can't pretend it's something which I should do because I know how to do it if I want to, but I just can't do it. So that's something I need to be thinking about. How can I just be shamelessly apologetic on YouTube, on podcasts, on digital content, in my branding for my jewelry business and what I do? And just hopefully the audience will find me at some point. That's how I see myself or a multidisciplinary artist. Like I started doing films. I thought, oh, I have to go to film school to do a film. I've never directed a film before. What can I do? So I've done a short film or documentary and it got selected for the London Independent Film Award. Next month they're going to be showing it at the film festival. So I was like, oh, so my first kind of film I made, it gone there. And I trained as a jeweler. And you that's know, so cool. Being a content creator, especially when you're small, like I'm also a small content creator. And it can be very discouraging at times when maybe you're not getting the views or the listens or the likes or the comments that you want. But I keep going because I know I'm still making an impact. I don't like using the word influencer. I like saying I'm a content creator, but I have had influence on other people in a very positive way, mostly positive. There's some negative, but it's mostly positive. And that fulfills me. I love knowing that I've made a difference to help somebody. Because when I started my YouTube channel four years ago, it was very small. It was a mess. I mean, I had to go through a couple of different rebrands and re-niche so I could truly find like 
what would click with my audience better? And that was when I started doing more videos just about navigating life and dating in San Francisco. And then COVID fucking happened. I lost two jobs and I just couldn't live in San Francisco anymore. So that's why I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon. And now I've had to shift to Portland content. And then I obviously I'll still go and visit San Francisco and I make San Francisco videos when I go back because I know I still want to cater to that audience who came to my channel before. But there are people who still stayed even when I did move. And it's because they liked me for me. So once people start like watching your content, then they actually just stick around because they like you as a person. So I just tell people keep going. Don't let these vanity metrics get the best of you. People may not take you seriously if you're small, but I say, who cares? I like to treat myself like I am a big creator. With my podcast, so many people ghost me when I pitch to podcast guests. I've reached out to people who do have millions of followers because I'm going to shoot my shot. I want to see what happens. If they don't get back to me, you know, it's not the end of the world. Sometimes I like, I just don't take it personally. It's like, maybe it's just because I'm small and that's okay. But I still treat myself like, you know what? I know I'm small, but I'm not going to treat myself as small. I'm still going to reach out to these people. And if they want to give me a chance to interview them on my podcast, that's amazing. And I don't expect them to promote me. I'm not doing this for clout. I've interviewed a big TikToker. She has over a million followers on TikTok. She didn't promote my podcast episode with her once. I wasn't expecting her to. I just genuinely wanted to have her on my show and talk to her and learn more about her and what she does. If she wanted to promote me, that's her choice, but I never ever expect anything in return for my guest. Understood, I'll take that on board in my small YouTube purgatory life until I get into bigger, <laughs> it gets into bigger things. I have a question, maybe I should ask you this, but I always, I always ask questions, a PDX, what's that mean? I was trying to work out, when you said a PDX, what's that mean? PDX. Oh, so that is the airport code for Portland's airport. And well, so it's basically international, don't know nothing. Don't know. Yeah. Nothing. So <laughs> no, that's a really funny question. Yeah. So PDX is basically just the short name for Portland, but it's the airport code for the Portland airport. <laughs> I don't know where they get the X from. The P and the D part makes sense, but yeah, I have I have no idea where they get the X from, but it's kind of cool. And why is San Francisco so expensive? Why is it so expensive? I've been there. It's expensive and it's a lot of homeless people. people. They don't show that in the movies about the homeless people. Oh my that. gosh, girl. I think it's, well, part of it definitely has to do with the tech boom. So when a lot of tech companies move to the Silicon Valley, that's like the name of the tech bubble in the Bay Area. It's called Silicon Valley. Obviously, tech jobs pay a lot of money. Most people are making six-figure salaries. People who work at startups and if their company is successful and they IPO or they get acquired, they can potentially become millionaires. That definitely does play a role into like the cost of housing because landlords know that these people are rich and they could probably afford apartments that are like over $3,000. It's insane. There is a lot of homelessness. I mean, some people are homeless because they've been priced out, but there's also people who are homeless in San Francisco because they came from other cities and they migrated to San Francisco just so they could be homeless in San Francisco. It is something that I still don't really understand. <laughs> I, was, I was just shocked. I was just like, this is not in the movies as a, like a little Brit, like, oh, you're going to see them on little carts all the time. You know, what, what do you call them? The trolleys? And it wasn't yeah, the cable cars. Cable cars, sorry. No, you're good. You're good. 
I know people always call them trolley. Like a trolley, at least it, the way that San Francisco defines a trolley, is really more like a light rail car or a car or a streetcar where it has like an attachment to a wire. It looks like a little stick thing that pops out and it's attached to a wire. That can be considered a trolley or a light rail. But the cable car is actually run by machinery underneath the tracks and the ground and that's how it operates it's pretty cool and i think it's cool that the cable cars are still around after all of these years it's definitely more of a touristy thing now but when i did have friends who would come visit me in san francisco they always wanted to ride the cable car i'm like okay yes let's let's go do the cable car there are certain touristy things that you got to do when you're there and then there are certain touristy things that you just need to avoid because they're really not worth it i hear you (laughs) So I have two more questions for you because I know we're starting to wrap up on time. But really quick, I know you you mentioned you have a podcast. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? It's called Black Creative Handbooks. Um, It's supposed to be a podcast to support black creatives. So I interview black creatives all over the world. They could be content creators, could be musicians, they could be a yoga teacher, anything creative. Because I know creatives find it eat hard. And it's not a competition when when I say this, but there's certain nuances um, when being a black creative which just have to navigate through these spaces. Um, So I think I mentioned earlier, you know, your parents might not always support your creative endeavors, not saying like white people or people don't have those type of things, but there's certain things, there's certain nuances where black creators uh, have to go through and a certain experience in the African diaspora, which other people don't have to go through. And I think Invo, it is purposely for black people, white people have been on the show and also it's just good knowledge also why i did this podcast is you know on instagram and on youtube like if you you see all these marketers if you just do my course for like 9.99 you know oh yeah and then up to my membership club and da, da, da. and then you sign up me because i didn't have the belief like, oh i didn't know what to do i'm less fan oh this this person must know what they're doing because they've got x amount of followers then must know what they're doing you sign up you pay for your course or you do these trusty sessions which are like 300 dollars an hour whatever and I realized I couldn't find this on the podcast for free or I couldn't find this on YouTube they just finesse yep. me these City coaches are, these coaches are so fucking predatory I I have literally called out career coaches and dating coaches because like I'm a technical recruiter so I actually know what it's like to hire I know the ins and outs of hiring and I give genuine advice that actually is helpful to candidates whereas career coaches who've never had experience in hiring or recruiting, they just play off the fears and anxieties of vulnerable candidates or job seekers who think like, oh, you're a career coach, you must know what you're doing, but they don't do their due diligence and do their research to check their background. And then they end up spending tons of money on a terrible resume to beat the ATS, which isn't even a thing because an applicant tracking system, sorry. So that's basically like when you apply to a job, you know, there's like a portal that you have to go through to apply. It goes to the back end, but the recruiter is managing that. There's like no automatic robots that are screening out your resume. And I have to tell people that it is fiction. It is a myth and it's a recruiter or somebody else that's on the back end rejecting your resume. You just applied to a job that you just weren't qualified for. I'm glad you mentioned that because I have been calling out career coaches and bad career advice on LinkedIn all the time. I use my LinkedIn account as a platform for helping candidates just not become anxious during the job search. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and and they have courses and, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a really big believer, like, 
all right, I understand people have courses and if there's really good information and stuff like that, but a lot of it's just re regurgitated and it's not yep. high value. So why just share the value, whether you like him or not, Kanye West, whatever. I don't know if you've watched his, his documentary. I have not. He's a very polarizing character, but how he got onto yep. his right, it, to me, was very inspirational. And you just have to hustle and you see the hard work. So what, so what the podcast, the Black Creative Podcast, try to do, tries to do is try to get people from A to B. So you're not like Kenya less West level, whatever, high level of Beyonce, per se, even though you're aspiring to be that level. But how do you get there? Then someone says to you, do my course and you pay thousands of pounds and they don't tell you nothing. So I really believe in that podcast, really giving high value people about creatives, tangible, practical steps of how to get to A to B and make money as a, as a creative and how to navigate these certain spaces. Because I just think it's just people just scamming, man. They're just scamming in these streets. And us creatives who are not on a certain level, we don't have that money to, to spend. We've got to save that coin. A coin, you know, a dollar saved is, is a dollar earned. And, you know, just listen to the podcast to get creators who are actually doing it with just a little bit of steps ahead than you. It will save you money. Like they're your online mentors. The podcast is like an online handbook to get you from A to B. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of piggyback off what you just said, because I was going to lead me into like the last thing that I wanted to ask you about is what would you say is like the biggest piece of advice you could give to black creatives and entrepreneurs who want to get started in running their own business? And is like there anything that they really need to be aware about? Okay. So what the first thing that comes to mind is if you really want to do something, be prepared. For your family not to agree be prepared to be financially okay to do it to make that jump and plan it and be strategic because sometimes you know your family will you know just out of survival as your pet like their parents if they come from an immigrant family like they always tell you to take the safest route because but sometimes you have to take a high risk route and also make sure you have the people around you so if you want to be creative, hang around with creatives, successful creatives, not just creatives, not, not doing anything. Try to be around creatives who are, who are doing stuff to feel inspired. Yeah, that's what I would really say. Um, no one's going to give you anything. There's no special thing. But as I said, just to just to summarize, your social capital is very important, the people you hang around with. Mm -hmm. Your mental resilience and your financial resilience are very, very important. Those are the three things. You that is true. Get. Starting a business is expensive and i definitely admire that you mentioned the costs and being financially prepared for it because there's so many people who don't even know how to get started and they're like well what do i need to do and i think well think about like how much you have in terms of money or maybe go the investor route and see if you can get started from there i've always contemplated whether or not i wanted to start my business i've always thought about maybe doing a subscription box of something make, cool. doing something do I was thinking about doing something similar to this box called Single Swag, and I wanted to do it maybe a little bit better. So there's a subscription box that's supposed to be designed for single women, but the marketing is kind of problematic because A, it wasn't even created by a single woman. It was created by a man, and he just sort of had the assumption that single women are sad. They do nothing but like drink wine and eat chocolate and they need to take baths and do face masks. I do that yeah, when I'm not single. Exactly. <laughs> and this is like a disgusting stereotype and I don't like that. I ordered one box just to see what it was about. And like, honestly, the, some of the stuff 
was kind of cheap in my opinion. I did a review on it on my YouTube channel since I have made videos about like being single and navigating dating as a single woman. And I just was honestly not impressed. I'm team FabFitFunBox all the way, just so we're clear here. I love that subscription box. But besides that, yeah, I would love to do a subscription box that's obviously marketed towards single individuals. I mean, of course, if you're in a relationship, you're more than welcome to still order it. It's not like you can only be single, but I want to actually give out items that are things that single people actually need. Maybe it could be like a new vibrator or it could be like a really cool book. It could be something that they can actually use in life, not like cheap, tacky jewelry or makeup. I mean, beauty products are fine because there could always be something that you may want as somebody who loves makeup, but I just want to take it like in a step above. That's something I would love to do one day. Honestly, it's just not a priority for me at this time, but it's something I've definitely thought about. Okay, cool. That sounds really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So Cassandra, if people wanted to find you and also learn more about like where they can buy jewelry from, can you tell us a little bit more about um, your social handles and where they can find your business? Okay. So I know you have a large American audience. So jewelry is spelled differently and I tried to, it's differently. It's my name. So it's KLG jewelry, but the British spelling, which is J E W E L L E R Y. That is, that is the, different, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so KLG Jewelry or klgjewelry.com. And um, for Black Creative Handbook, you can just type that in, Black Creative Handbook, or at Black Creative Handbook, and um, that's for the podcast. So those are the main things, really. My film called Gemstones, Lessons in Unconditional Love, is going to be at the London Independent Film Festival next month. And I have a public art exhibition using jewellery, looking at the relationship between cancer and jewellery. So we did with our participants who are affected by cancer to design jewellery, to talk about, to reclaim their narratives about their health and how, what their cancer journey is. And we display it and we do a documentary and do some portraits just to open up the taboo about cancer because it affects one in two people. And it's, you know, very important to just talk about, you know, health in a very, um, you know, safe space, but in, in a public setting. I love that your jewelry has so much symbolism and that you're doing something that you're just taking it. As, it's not just like any jewelry. It's jewelry that's symbolic and that's really special. And that was something I was going to try to say earlier, but I know we got so wrapped up in so many Sorry different conversations. <laughs> and I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you, uh, Cassandra. It's been such a pleasure having you on. And thank you so much for sharing your story and being so brave and being more vulnerable and opening up. I've really appreciate it. So guys, if you are listening still, and you have like a shameless unapologetic experience that you want me to ever read on this show, make sure you email the podcast at shamelessly unapologetic podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at shamelessly unapologetic. And with that, I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye. <laughs>